nothing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Squat Cobbler, episode 73. I'm Kelly Toole at K E L L Y T H U L on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Mike at Official Pagan on everything, but to be honest, I mostly just use Instagram now. So, a special episode number, I think a lot of people immediately recognize 19. This is episode 73. 1973, of course, was the year Alice Cooper released his greatest album, Billion Dollar Babies. That's true. 1973 is when the Alice Cooper group released the second greatest album of their or his catalog. I guess we will continue to agree to disagree. <laughs> you missed your shot on 71. <laughs> so, I know. Uh, I didn't even think of doing that. It's good. Every day I think about ways to talk about Billion Dollar Babies being missed. <laughs> One of these days that we should go back. I mean, we love Alice. We love doing the Alice records. It's clear just from the, I don't know, because, you know, you guys see the whole nurture and support thing. I, I don't see that aspect of it. So I don't know what the streaming numbers are like from the RSS feed going through iTunes and all that. But if you look at the YouTube numbers, it seems like people really like, most people really like our Alice Cooper reviews. Some people hate our beards. But most people seem to like the Alice Cooper reviews, so we should maybe do like the Bisto Blanco albums one day. Absolutely, and which will also just be fun to do. But that'd be we yeah. should we should definitely do that and kind of add that to the the grouping. That'd be a really good idea. And you were the one who really yeah. got me into Bisto Blanco, and now I, I listen. That's heavy rotation for me. I was I mean, I was already a Homer, big fan of big fan of Chuck Garrick. Uh, really cool to see Calico Cooper emerge as a performer. Chuck's a beast. He's fantastic on stage, puts together some pretty, pretty great stuff. So it's been fun. So yeah, I think that will come up. We are going to be in recommendation format for this week's Squat Cobbler. I said yes too quickly. Uh, Mike had suggested <laughs> because we're kind of looking to say, let's make sure we build up some content so we're in good shape over the holidays and get things done. And Mike, somewhat out of the blue, suggested, hey, maybe we should do a show about a recommendation show. And I was like, what a really good idea, Mike. Yes. And then I began to reflect as we set up for tonight. And I said, if Mike wants to do a recommendation show, there might be a reason. And I might not be too happy about that reason. So I think all of us can wait till. <laughs> I mean, all I'll say is I, I definitely have a recommendation that I, I've been itching to get out there. And the discomfort level increases. <laughs> so we'll, Emphasis um, on itching. Yes. I would like you to reflect that I'm about to make my recommendation first, and this is an incredibly nice person. And you should think about what kind of person you are, Mike, in case you're putting going to put something highly unpleasant next to this recommendation by, by, by this individual. So think about that as I give mine. Now, I just want everybody to hear, Kelly's trying to recommendation shame me right now. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm doing everything <laughs> I can. So uh, my recommendation this week is actually a YouTube channel with just over a thousand subscribers, which is something that Mike, Mel, and I aspire to one day. Uh, the name of the channel is Orvix, O-R-V-I-X, Orvix Cosplay, and it's run by a young lady named Celeste. I've had a chance to at least connect with Celeste mostly through Instagram and some of the uh, or the comic conventions up in Chicago and just kind of, we, we know some common people and all that. And so she has been, as I go through my most recent cosplay project, and I'm looking for advice. She's pretty expert at what she does. And so I really value her opinion. So I've been able to kind of kind of throw things her way and say, I'm thinking about this or that. What do you recommend? Good tips on painting and all that. But she's got a really cool channel on YouTube that has something for everyone, particularly something for the the squat cobbler hosts. So it starts off with modifications. Uh, she has a lot of things about tattoo and ink, Mike, which I think 
might be uh, appealing to you. She yeah. has a she does a blog a vlog playlist which will cover when she goes to cons and when she's been like at Disneyland. So that obviously speaks a lot to Kelly. Uh, also a playlist on cosplay and other DIY projects that uh, is really cool. So just kind of if you're doing the project work, she's got some nice videos out there, including. Are you familiar with the uh, the Killing Joke Batman comic with the Joker? Yes, yes, I am. So you know the Hawaiian shirt that yes. he sports for most of it. She's got a like a three and a half minute video out there that shows how you can make one of those yourself. So actually, really, really cool and a new project for me down the road. She yeah, just cut her up because I know our listeners love it when we go off on tangents. Of course. <laughs> did you see the the movie adaptation of the killing joke i did what were your thoughts so i liked the comic better i thought it was faithfully executed uh so it was interesting but for just some reason the delivery of that in comic form i felt was better storytelling than the animated version but i i still thought it was okay it it certainly had its moments <laughs> of unpleasantness i mean so did the comic your thoughts um, so I was excited that it was sort of a return to the Batman, the animated series style and core voice cast. I was also really excited that it kicked off this wave of R rated animated DC properties that has continued since then. Uh, they put out Gotham by Gaslight, which I thought was far superior to the killing joke. I don't know if you saw that one. I did not. It's a lot better than Killing Joke. There was also recently a Suicide Squad movie. There was an R rated animated Justice League movie. All really good quality stuff. So Killing Joe kind of kicked that whole thing off. So that's really cool. I'm a fan of the Killing Joe comic. Most of my problems with the adaptation, I the core adaptation I, I think is good. It's not as good as the source material, but it never was going to be in some ways. Like you said, it story-wise just plays better in the book form. And again, they, they needed this to be feature length, so it was going to be padded out in parts. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm not going to give much away, but essentially what they did was do an adaptation of The Killing Joke and then add like a 20 minute short <laughs> that kind of sets it up to the beginning that isn't really a part of The Killing Joke story that gives you more interaction with Batgirl and backstory on her. That segment didn't work for me or a lot of fans if you look at reviews, but for me personally, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd be with you on that i mean when you got to the true source material it, you can definitely see a shift in kind of the quality yeah it really does feel like it's all one feature but it feels like a tacked on short that they made before you get to the actual feature you could just cut that off entirely and it wouldn't affect the storyline of the actual killing joke adaptation and maybe they should have done that or found other ways to to pad the runtime a little bit i agree completely sorry um, to take you off so far nope. off well, like that. I was just, you not brought too it much up, either. I was just curious. Well, and it kind of ties to because part of the reason that uh, she showed how to make that Killing Joke shirt is that one of her best cosplays is this Harley Quinn Joker mashup that is just super remarkable. Kind of still stay. We're staying in the camp. We're still in the ballpark on this kind of stuff. But there's a lot of good things. She's incredibly nice. She delivers information really well. She's fantastic on all social media platforms. But I, I had. We had been interacting. I hadn't had really a chance to dive deeper into her YouTube channel until recently. And I said, wow, there's a lot of good stuff here. And it seems like a really good recommendation to do. So my recommendation for this week is Orvix, O-R-V-I-X Cosplay, and uh, run by Celeste. And I highly recommend you check it out. Subscribe. Very cool. Now, any of the squaddies know both Kelly and I are cosplay fans. Yeah, different uh, tribes of cosplay players, but yes. <laughs> But uh, if any of you guys don't know, if you don't follow Kelly on social media, Kelly has done awesome now. And I think we covered this a little bit on Nurture and Support, which would air before this. 
I'm always really impressed when people do things that I can't do. It's like magic to me and just super entertaining. And anything that's sort of craft oriented, I definitely can't do that stuff. It's immensely impressive to me, the stuff that Kelly does with his cosplay, particularly your Kylo Ren mashup costumes that you've done. Yeah, thanks. And it's it's been fun and kind of with each one, because I started off uh, easy that the first Kylo Ren mashup was with Negan. So I had to I had to fabricate up a cross hilt bat with barbed wire. So that was that was the projecty part of it. But then uh, the second one was m- mashing him up with the Night King. And that took me into a lot of new places I hadn't been. I had to do a lot of uh, painting techniques that I wasn't really familiar with, doing some sculpting for the horns. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised with how, how well it came out and, you know, the eyes light up and all that kind of fun stuff. And my first shot at doing foam armor. So that was an interesting <laughs> process. And now uh, this next one is a, a Joker Kylo Ren one. And this is this has proved to be uh, pretty interesting to do as well, because, again, it's more painting than I'm comfortable doing because I'm not really great at it. And there are a couple parts of it. Like the mouth, uh, getting the mouth right on this mask was going to be super important, whether it was either going to work really nice or suck. <laughs> and I think I think I did okay. Well, the the bits and pieces of stuff that I've seen, it looks great so far. And the, the Kylo Negan w- was really clever and creative. But what you did with that Night King mashup costume was really amazing. I could never do anything like that. It was super impressive. And anybody listening to this, you need to go to Kelly's social media check those pictures out they're really amazing stuff now do you use the same are you reusing the same kylo ren mask or is it a new mask each time well the reason i picked kylo for mashups a couple reasons one the uh, the helmet's iconic and so you can kind of take a twist on it and people are still going to know what it is so that part's good the other part is they're the cheapest helmet you can buy (laughs) so because i thought for a while about doing some darth vader ones but typically the darth vader runs run a good 20 to 30 bucks more than a kylo ren helmet so I do for each one, I've got just a straight for the, for the Kylo Negan one, it's just a straight black Kylo Ren helmet. So I didn't have to do any painting with that at all. I don't reuse anything. I do reuse things like there's a fantastic uh, tutorial out there, how to create a, a Kylo Ren lightsaber hilt using PVC. I reuse those plans for uh, the most recent two. I don't really reuse too many parts. Well, it's super interesting. Now, are you keeping, and I'm sorry again to kind of get this off on a tangent, but I'm really into your cosplay stuff. It's, again, magic to me because I can't do anything like that. Are you keeping pieces of it? Like, I, I want to come to your house one day and see, like, a, a Kylo mashup trophy room, basically, <laughs> of all of this stuff. Are you are you keeping pieces, like, displaying them? That's the intent <laughs> um, to do that. I've got to kind of clear it because they, they, the helmets take up a little bit of space, so I've got to kind of figure out how to appropriately accommodate them. But, yeah, that's my intent. I do have uh, the various Kylo uh, lightsabers that I've made actually hung up on a wall uh, already, but uh, I've got to get a place for the the helmets. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get that figured out. But yes, there will be they will be on display because I'm like I said I've been pretty pleased with how they've turned out. So that they'll they'll stick around. Nice. And and again, I I can't stress enough. Everybody should go check the pictures out. It's really cool stuff. Now you mentioned YouTube, so you said that this YouTube channel is over a thousand, which is the magic number of subscribers for YouTube. It is. 
on at least some of her her videos, she has kind of squat cobbler recommendation show like numbers, <laughs> which you know are not huge. And so th- it is a combination of the number of subscribers you have uh, and the number of views you have. And so that's partially one of the reasons that I'm, I'm re- recommending her is because the stuff deserves more views. People should go really check it out. You got to kind of kick up that that total number of views because I I forget I got embittered when they put out the new rules because I saw the thousand subscribers and I said I got a ways to go. Uh, but we're continuing to slowly climb that hill. But then you need uh, a pretty steady stream of regular viewers as well to kind of hit the magic spot where they'll say, yes, you can monetize. Yeah, see, all of that stuff is, I, I don't, I'm aware of it. And obviously, you know, following what you're doing with your channel, with the Squat Cobbler and Nurtured Support stuff. But for me, I'm not super well-versed in all the numbers and where you need to be at because I can't monetize the Pagan channel. So, and one thing that I've noticed with my videos and i think it's because of the type of videos they are like a lot of it's audio so there's way more views than there is actual other interaction limited number of comments and likes and things compared to the number of views on a video like the most comments i think anything has is maybe like a little over 100 comments and that video though has six figure play numbers so it's more you know people putting something on and leaving their headphones on and letting a playlist play so I think we're just now closing in on 600 subscribers, but there's probably like half a million video views or close to it. Yeah, it's interesting to see on a YouTube channel basis how that interaction plays out because the vast majority of the things on my channel are audio only. It's these podcasts either that Mike and I do or Mel and I do with the logo of the show and then the audio track underneath it. So it is pretty much a plug in and listen to a thing, which I highly recommend everybody does as they go and pick the Squat Cobbler playlist or the nurture and support playlist and just let it go let it play <laughs> do those because <laughs> it's, it's to be relaxing and enjoyable you need to get us up to that thousand subscribers and however yes. many views we need we're going to need to kind of continually aggressively go after it and there are basic things that that, that i'm not doing that i should start to do because one of the biggest first steps you do is you need to ask people to subscribe we have never ended any of our shows <laughs> asking people to subscribe to the youtube it's channel. True. We, we do i mean the the closest thing we get because we're not ones to plug ourselves never. the closest no absolutely not the closest that we get really is saying where you can find us on social media we'll, we'll kick it up but yeah i continue our you know the growth the growth continues on a, on a slow but steady stream and it is also very fascinating even though it's a small numbers thing you know you get to find when you find the when you got this person that's like a huge alice cooper fan and they find our reviews and then all of a sudden for like six days in a row i'll get a comment because <laughs> it'll be they're working their way through the list and most of them have been pretty most of them have been pretty pleasant. But when you got somebody who doesn't listen to the first one we do and bail, after they go through a bunch, they it's kind of interesting. But you you know, I can actually say, ah, so this person found the, the playlist and they're working their way through. So we get a pretty pretty steady stream of comments. And then we also get the special comments from time to time, of course. <laughs> Which can be equally entertaining. Yeah, they are. I hate, well, I hate to say this, Mike, but yeah. do you have a recommendation for this week? Of course I do, Kelly. And I, and I was just about to apologize to everyone. I'm sorry to take us down all these strange, long, winding roads that we did there. But it was a really cool recommendation and it naturally lent itself to that. She seems like a really nice person. The kind of person that you wouldn't want to have their recommendation to their YouTube channel adjacent to something not nice. Yeah. <laughs> but continue. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm keeping it classy. Now, Kelly... How much anal blossom porn have you been exposed to? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kelly, are you a video gamer at all? 
Uh, light video game or light. I tend to I tend to inherit game systems when uh, it, members of my family go to the next level of game system, and I'll 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 play it some. So I would not characterize myself as any sort of serious gamer. I enjoy it when I do it. I was a big Star Wars Battlefront fan. I played that a ton. I would say uh, I enjoy video games. I would not consider myself those people that take it a little more seriously and can really do a great job. Mostly because any kind of like first person shooter type of thing. My whole objective is find a weapon, use a weapon and that's it. (laughs) Strategically, that doesn't always pan out so well. I was also just a gigantic fan of Bioshock and all the, the subsequent iterations of it because that's just wonderful, immersive environment. So I would say I am an occasional gamer. That more or less where I'd rank myself as well. When I was younger, because I'm extremely old now, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm 36. So basically planning my funeral. When I was younger, I was heavily, heavily into video games and, and not in the way that some people listening to this might be like, all oh, kids love video games. I actually competed in game tournaments and things like that, but then sort of fell out of it because I got, I guess around like 12, 13, got a lot more serious about music, started going on the road, joining bands, recording, things like that. So that really became my main focal point in video games. Just not that I didn't enjoy them as much anymore. I just had to choose where I was going to put my time. I've kept up more or less with the current systems over the years. You know, if I buy an Xbox, the problem, this is my problem. So the example I was give to everybody is as soon as Xbox 360, the previous iteration of it came out, I bought one right away. Over the course of its lifespan, I had maybe 10 games, maybe. Because <laughs> again, the allocating time to it, I loved Bioshock. I loved Portal. Uh, Grand Theft Auto, a few other things, but I just couldn't devote the time to it that I really wanted to. Now, in the past, there's always been a huge market because nostalgia is a powerful thing. There's always been a huge market for retro games. And one of the things that's really cropped up recently is the mini versions of the older consoles. Are you familiar with these, Kelly? Yes, I am. Do you they own any? Really... I do not yet. I'm also I'm kind of still in the process of. Uh... I still have the original operating equipment of an uh, Amiga 2000, which was my favorite gaming platform ever. TV sports, basketball, TV sports, football. I am Um, super jealous because I I was looking up game. Just again, we're getting off on a tangent. I was looking for a game earlier tonight as we're recording this, only to find out that it was only on Amiga. (laughs) So I think the first multitasking uh, PC and graphically had the first one with parallax scrolling in it. Uh, the uh, what I oh gosh, and I wish I could remember the name of the. I'll, I'll put it in the blog post. But they they had a World War One fighting game uh, where you could basically be you know you pick what side you want to be. But of course I had to be the Red Baron, and you could go on various missions and uh, have dogfights, and it was really fantastic. Great graphics, you know, for the time and and all that. But really fun gameplay. But the trick I learned too was that if my dogfight was not going well and I was about to go down, I just shut the system off. <laughs> and then and then it would I would able to be able to restart that mission the next time, which was a wonderful addition to make me a, the most amazing World War One ace because I'd never lost ever. <laughs> I'm a big fan of of all of this sort of resurgence of retro gaming because obviously those are the games I grew up on when I was most serious about gaming. And of course emulators are a thing everyone knows that i could play those games anytime i want i have on occasion but there's just something about the nostalgic sort of look and feel of having the these consoles again now i'm not talking about the at games plug and play controllers and smaller systems which are 
I'm not going to say bad, but they're sort of hit and miss with quality. Like, for example, uh, now just recently they reissued a Genesis, a full-size Sega Genesis that takes cartridges and all that. But prior to that, at Games was putting out plug-and-play Genesis with built-in games. And it had a lot of, like, the known titles that you'd expect. The Sonic games, Mortal Kombat, things like that. But then it would have a bunch of, like, weird homebrew games that they obviously, like, picked up for pennies online and things like that just to pad the numbers and say that it came with you know 60 built-in games or something like that so that whole market really turned around when nintendo put out the the nes classic which was just meant to be a, a quick stop gap at which they themselves have said was never meant to even they weren't even meant to make as many of those units as they did but they sold millions of them and the quality level was so much higher than the other plug-and-play systems not only did you get a library of built-in ROMs of some of their most popular titles, but everything was presented at a much higher quality level. You had different options for screen settings. You could save games, all that kind of stuff. So it really set a new standard for what those things are. They followed that up with the Super Nintendo Classic, which was almost as big, and so on and so forth. Other consoles have followed in that that wake. Most recently, and... I would say not nearly as well received. I don't know if you can call it a flop yet because it just came out. Although everyone online is. The PlayStation released the Sony released the PlayStation Classic. They seem to have missed the mark on that though. It's priced significantly higher than its competitors. Its starting price is $100. It has far less built-in games. And for some reason that makes no sense, they mixed NTSC and PAL formatted games on the systems. It's not if you just buy it in North America that you're getting the NTSC versions, you're getting a mix of, of PAL and NTSC and the same thing if you're in Europe. So some games just don't play right because the frame rates are off so you get lag and control issues and things like that. So it seems like Sony really, really dropped the ball on this. And you can tell it's Christmas time right now that we're recording this. The stores and the malls are packed, ridiculously packed with people. <laughs> Even like the lesser toys are going now as people are buying all those last minute gifts. I was at a Walmart last night and they had like 20 PlayStation Classics just sitting there with nobody touching them. So seems like Sony dropped the ball, which is unfortunate because while that's getting all that attention, another company has released a miniature version of the Commodore 64. Were you a Commodore guy at all, Kelly? Well, Amiga, Commodore platform, but I, I didn't do any of the Commodore before the Amiga. The So, you know, Mike always talks about how old he is and he's near death. And, and so apparently <laughs> I'm a zombie talking to you. <laughs> During my high school days, my first interaction with the Commodore platform was the Commodore Pet. So the Commodore Pet had a almost... Uh, Egyptian-like looking monitor. It had sloped sides. It kind of went up, not to a full pyramid, but the start of a pyramid. And you stored your work on cassette tape. So uh, th that was an interesting thing. So I, Commodore PET I had some familiarity with, but then I went I went big time to the Amiga with, uh, you know, and I upgraded to the two megs of RAM because I was a big time player. And uh, <laughs> so my, my Commodore, I skipped kind of the 64 window and kind of went from the PET eventually to the Amiga. So a while back, they released the standard Commodore 64 joystick as one of those plug and play things with some of the, the famous Commodore games built into it. It kind of came and went without a ton of fanfare because, of course, you had the NES Classic and Super Nintendo Classic. Well, now they've released a Commodore 64 Mini. It initially released in Europe and there were a few issues with it. And I think because of that, 
And because of all of the ruffled feathers over Sony's release, the U.S. release hasn't gotten nearly as much attention, the U.S. release of the Commodore 64 Mini, as it, as it really should. It comes with 64 built-in games, and where it really differs from all of these other miniature systems is it also because the Commodore was a computer, not just a gaming system. This is being marketed as, as one of the retro mini consoles to play games with, but the makers really haven't missed the fact that this was a computer. It comes with BASIC, which was the Commodore's built-in programming language. It stands for Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code. It comes with BASIC built in, so you can actually pull your prompts up on screen for people who are maybe slightly younger, if, if you can maybe remember as far back as having to use DOS on a Windows-based computer or on a PC prior to Windows being the operating system on there. It actually pulls up your commands and you can install new programs on there. So for anyone who doesn't know, there are a lot of videos online of people hacking their Nintendo Classics and the various other classic mini systems that are out there, ripping them apart, making adjustments to them so they can upload more ROMs to them. This is actually the first one of these mini systems that you can install new games into as just a part of the basic functionality of the system. Not only that, but apparently it is a fully working version of basic so you can actually program on this as well so if you are really into the whole retro gaming and retro computer aspect of it particularly you can actually get in there and start programming apparently i haven't delved that deeply into it yet mine just arrived about a week ago uh, since i've gotten it though i played a bunch of the built-in games then i did a firmware update and the way all of that's done is with a usb drive so you download your firmware update on your USB, plug in a new USB port on the system. Firmware update was super easy to install. And then with the firmware update, you can start installing new games. I started off simple. Apparently there is a way you can do multiple games at a time and add them on there. I only tried one and you can do programs as well, not just games. I only tried one just to see how it worked. Incredibly easy to use. And you can even, if you're going for full nostalgia, you can either load the game directly off your USB drive or you can install it using BASIC to give you that full old school computer feel to it. It is really, really impressive. Probably the most impressive of all of these mini systems that have come out because they focus not just on the gaming aspect of it, but the actual computer aspect as well. I do have a couple of minor quibbles. However, the quibbles are stupid. <laughs> because my minor quibbles are also counterintuitive to what this unit is. So if anyone's not familiar, the Commodore 64, the iconic keyboard that it had with it, is basically what you're getting. The unit itself is the Commodore 64 keyboard at about half size. That means it's small, too small to be a functioning keyboard. So unfortunately, while it looks like this cool retro looking keyboard, the keyboard is not functional. That's my first quibble. That's a stupid quibble. <laughs> I know. I'm just being a weird fanboy about it. It's a stupid quibble because part of what makes this great is even though it has all this additional functionality, the core price of this is still significantly cheaper than the PlayStation Classic. I believe the retail price of it is at like $80 or somewhere around there. I was actually able to pick one up off of Walmart who was selling them at half price. So I got it for like around $40. Obviously, if this was a functioning keyboard, it would not only be bigger, which destroys the whole mini aspect of it, but costs significantly more. So it's a stupid quibble because it's a, a form and functionality issue. I'm not sure that, that I'm going to 
as much as I'd like to <laughs> characterize it as a stupid quibble, uh, having a functional keyboard seems a little bit important. And when, <laughs> when they downsize it, I mean, it may, I guess you can make it work, but I think that that's not, that's not an unreasonable user experience concern. So mini title aside, <laughs> uh, I, I still think that's a, that I wouldn't characterize that as stupid. I think that's a fair concern. Well, and, and see, that's what it comes into the, I understand they're trying to balance keeping the price low, not making the mistakes that Sony did with PlayStation, keeping the price low. And of course, the whole mini idea, it's half the size of a standard keyboard. It would make it difficult to accurately type on it. That leads directly into my second quibble, which again is kind of dumb for the same reasons. Because of the size, there is not many. there are not many ports on this. There's an HDMI port, so you can connect it to a TV or monitor. You have a power cable, which uses a USB cell phone style cable, which all of the mini systems do for the most part. And then you have two USB ports. So the controller that it comes with, the joystick it comes with, which is a quibble everyone else has, but I don't, the joystick that it comes with uses one of those USB ports. So you only have one more USB port. So where the issues come in at you are getting into installing a number of programs onto this you're using your other usb port for your usb flash drive to install those programs so you're doing at least part of the work of installing those programs using a joystick to manipulate the on-screen keyboard as opposed to a usb keyboard which does work you can hook a usb keyboard up to it if you're getting into serious coding and things like that so that's the other quibble you only have two usb ports and with a non-functioning keyboard, you're, if you're really serious about using the computer aspect of it, not just using it to play games, that's going to become a little bit tedious pulling things in and out of the USB ports. Again, though, it goes back to the whole mini aspect. If it had to, in order to fit more USB ports on this, it would have to be bigger. It would cost a lot more. So I understand where they're coming from with that. Do you, have you tried uh, adding a USB hub to it? That's what I'm doing. That's what a number of people have done. I've seen videos online. That's what I'm going to do with it. It's it's going to make it significantly easier. Again, though, the functionality of this is incredibly easy. I played around with BASIC a little bit. I'd never done any programming on BASIC. If you go on the C64 Mini website, they even give you like BASIC, um, to use the word BASIC twice, BASIC, BASIC programming <laughs> information so that you can kind of get started. And then there are plenty of tutorials and useful information sites online that you can pull up to learn more about basic to learn more about installing games and again installing games is incredibly easy every game that's built in to this or that you install yourself automatically gets four save slots if you're installing the game yourself your save games are then backed up onto your usb drive so you can take the USB drive in and out. You will not lose your place in the game. I mean, since, you know, we, I think we want to kind of stay on these kind of fascinating uh, tangents that will, you know, lock in hundreds of thousands of viewers. <laughs> uh, you know, let's talk about coding for a second, because that was actually sure. when my career started, I was a coder. Uh, PL1 was the language I uh, was responsible to code in uh, at that point in time. So again, that'll that'll date me in terms of where I'm at. But I was always a little fuzzy on, you know, do while versus do until. They are different and they're different purposes. And they, it was explained to me many times. Never really stuck, which is why eventually I made my way to management because it was clear <laughs> when, when I would talk about, you know, when you do structure coding and you want to kind of indent things to kind of help keep track of stuff like that. I used to always say, you know, I bet you I can make the profile of a famous person like Bob Hope or Richard Nixon or something like that in my code. Wouldn't that be cool? And, and that's when I said, oh, we think you're management material. 
<laughs> They're like, that's cute. <laughs> Get this guy away from the code. <laughs> so I I do not have an extensive coding past at all. So I have used Raspberry Pis to do live coding in Linux during our shows. One of the things that we've moved away from, which many, many bands do, I'm not judging them because I've done it in the past. I don't think there's anything wrong with it so long as it's not out of control, but it's extremely common, especially if you're going to see a band in a larger venue, that they're using some form of backing tracks when they play live. It's an acoustical issue, (laughs) recreating the sound of the album live, things like that. There's a difference between a band who uses backing tracks to make sure their sound is good and a band who is using that as a crutch and barely playing live. So recently I went to see one of the two famous holiday touring shows. I'm not going to say their name because I don't want to shit on them, but it's not Trans-Siberian Orchestra because as we've established in a previous episode, we're friends with those guys. They're, they're good guys. The other one <laughs> recently went to see, I was sitting next to somebody who is, who does not go to concerts very often and is not even a really particularly big music fan. They just like Christmas stuff. <laughs> so During the show, there was a significant amount of backing tracks being used. Significant. And to the degree that even the people who weren't aware that that sort of thing happened were very clearly aware that much of what they were seeing was not live music. So I kind of made the decision a while back, and we've covered it on this show. I switched from using, for the most part, from using digital synthesizers to using analog synthesizers. And we've cut all but... I think the only backing tracks we use when we play live now are just the samples, like the movie samples and things like that, that we've edited into songs that I play off of a sequencer that I have in front of me while I'm playing the other stuff. So we've cut all of that stuff out. One of the things I was trying to do for a while and to get some of the digital effects back, though, was to do live coding. (laughs) So as we were playing live, I would have a Raspberry Pi set up on a small monitor, and I had a Bluetooth handheld keyboard. (laughs) that I would quickly code into to get certain effects and things like that. That is not an easy way to go about it. (laughs) So that's, that's not a staple of shows or anything like that, but that's my entire, basically my entire coding experience. However, I am interested in jumping into basic on this because from everything I've read online, basic is a very easy to, to use coding language. And it's what the majority of the programs and games that I'm coming across for Commodore 64 were written in to begin with. Well, good. And once you figure out the difference between do while and do until, get a hold of me. <laughs> it's always a problem. So getting back to my, my minor quibbles, though, you only get two USB ports, which if you're getting into the program side of it, whether you're programming or installing additional programs other than games to this, you're not going to want to use the on-screen keyboard, which means you're using a USB keyboard hooked up to the fake keyboard. <laughs> so those are my minor quibbles, but I do understand that had this been larger, had it been a fully functioning keyboard with more USB ports, it would have been significantly larger, significantly more expensive, and they would run into the same problems that they're running into with PlayStation right now. Although the NTSC and PAL mixed up games makes absolutely no sense to me, <laughs> but I think that's probably a bigger issue, but they would have ran into more issues than they're running into had they gone that route. But for the people who are complaining about that, and I understand before those people, they are releasing a full-sized version of the keyboard that will be functional and presumably have extra USB ports as well. I don't know when it's coming out. It's something they're teasing on their website, though. 
the other quibble that everybody but me has. I used Commodore 64s. I wasn't. I'm extremely old, <laughs> but I was I was fairly young when Commodore was really at its peak. So I wasn't that ingrained in it or enveloped in it to get into the peripheral market that much with it. So with this com the joystick that this comes with is the standard Commodore 64 joystick. Uh, I believe it's called the Pro Joystick, and it's the actual like Commodore brand joystick. There were third-party peripherals that were apparently a lot better. So people are complaining that it doesn't come packaged with those. Again, those were third-party options, not the actual Commodore 64 joystick. So for the company that made it, Retro Games, I side with them that, again, going with the nostalgic look of it, they they chose the classic controller rather than make their own controller. Yeah, that back to the Amiga. Um, I have some third. The, so the standard Amiga joystick was basically the Atari joystick, <laughs> pretty much. And there was some really cool third-party stuff uh, that came out on the joystick front that were ergonomically kind of designed, almost a precursor to what you start to see with some of the PlayStation controllers and and uh, and such and the uh, Xbox. Those are nice when you wanted to kind of do it. But I did want to make sure that I mentioned that you know on-screen keyboard, great band name. <laughs> And I did just to see how easy or difficult to use it is. I When I installed my game, I used the on-screen keyboard. Again, though, it's so simple to install things on this that unless you're delving into basic, you're not going to use it that much. So if you're using this just for games, even if you're installing your own games, the keyboard isn't going to be that much of an issue. You're going to need the keyboard functionality when you actually delve into basic and then you're using up one of your usb ports which like kelly said for for mine for the mini what i'm going to do is hook usb hub up to it when the full size version comes out i am super impressed with this mini version other than my two quibbles i'm really impressed with this thing mostly i'm really impressed that you can actually install programs to it so it's an actual working Commodore 64, even though the keyboard doesn't work. So I'm super impressed by it. I am curious to see what sort of upgrades will be on the full-size version. I'm semi-homeless right now for anyone who doesn't follow our stuff. So the mini size is really working for me, being more in my vagabond mode right now. But once I have a new house and I'm established there, I could see getting the full size for the house. I have this vision of Mike sitting in his Ford Pinto that he can't drive because he doesn't have a license, but the little Commodore <laughs> keyboard sitting on the dash as he <laughs> types away, hoping no one runs into the back of his car. <laughs> so. But yeah, it's really cool. I've been, prior to jumping on this show, I was looking up more ROMs that I can install, programs and games and things like that. And for anyone who's interested, the one game that I've installed so far is the first Evil Dead video game adaptation <laughs> nice. from the 80s. And it's the only game, the only Evil Dead video game that I had never played. So that was the first thing that I installed to it. It's incredibly difficult and frustrating to play, but it played very well, very smoothly, super easy to install. Excellent. So uh, that was a recommendation worthy of following Celeste. So thank you. <laughs> we'll move into social media recommendations, and I'm going to stick with my theme. I'm actually going to recommend a Celeste um, Instagram account, which is Celestri Foral, which let me <laughs> let me spell that for you, gang. C E L E S T R I, the number four L, Celestrial. Really cool stuff. You're gonna see a lot of her cosplay stuff, and it's really cool from there. I had had begun because, she, like I said, she's she's kind of a cosplay coach for me on some things, and 
I had kind of asked her to do it, said, hey, you know, we do a podcast. Maybe, maybe you could come on sometime. And initially she was really receptive. And then she said, so where's it at? So I pointed her to it and said, yeah, there's a squat cobbler thing and there's a nutrient sport thing. And then her interest appeared to wane. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if she loves our stuff. Uh, so maybe we'll catch a break and we'll get her on. But uh, regardless, you should check her out on Instagram and follow her. So that's my social media recommendation for this week. Very nice. I have one as well, and I'm going to copy Kelly and just recommend my recommendation. You can follow the C64 Mini on Twitter. But we were super lazy on social media recommendations. Laziest. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're recommending what we recommended. But that's all right. It rounds out the show. It's the format. We need to do it. Right. Well, good. Well, I got to tell you, there have been worse recommendation shows than this than we've done. So, so we should yeah. We should sneak in a few of these here and there. Yeah, I think we should. Absolutely. And so we'll, we'll get back in the swing of things. It is really fun. It's the music stuff we get a good viewership for, and Mike and I really enjoy talking about it. Uh, but that being said, the recommendation stuff's pretty fun too. And then so hopefully we're going to get Mel kind of back in the swing of things from an access standpoint so that the nurture and support stream can be a little more a little more active, and we'll keep doing that. But yeah, I think I think we need to do a few more recommendation shows until the next recommendation you come that makes me think otherwise <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey i kept it really clean although i did get to say anal blossom yeah it's good to have goals mike <laughs> so <laughs> everybody google that yes and so <laughs> yeah so and that's gonna be yeah you know type in type an a in the google autofill and if that pops up that'll be a special <laughs> moment in the conversation better, for you to have with better yet loved ones. better yet everyone turn your volume up right now Hey, Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop that right now. So Cobbler Ren will probably be slightly busy for the YouTube version of this podcast. Uh, you'll get it in its full glory on our uh, blog. So we highly recommend you go to nurtureandsupport.net and check out all of our blog posts and various podcasts there. And as I mentioned earlier, if you get a chance, please subscribe to on YouTube. Search on Kelly Tool. K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L. You'll find the channel. And if you would subscribe, Mike and I would be most appreciative. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everybody.